I know it's been a while since we've released an episode here on the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast, but just know I have been deep in the throes of, well, first of all, dissertation work uh, as of this recording, which is what, end of April, beginning of May. I have a couple more weeks before I really have to turn this manuscript in. Uh, It's been a lot of fun, a lot of work, but a lot of really good stuff as I've been diving into open relational theology and mimetic theory. And uh, I have to defend in July, whatever defend means. And then it'll it'll all be out in book form sometime late summer, probably early fall. And of course, I will make sure you know about it. I hope that um, you'll be you know, checking in with me between now and then if you don't hear from me and you can do that. Um, well, let's see a couple of different ways. You can jump on my Patreon page, which is Patreon forward slash Jonathan underscore Foster. Easy enough. And you can always jump on my website and um, I started to say describe. You could describe my website, but you could also subscribe to my to my newsletter on the website and that's at JonathanFosterOnline.com. Would love to have you connected in both those things and so that we can uh, continue dialoguing and stay together over the next couple of months. I've also been busy because we recently downsized, moved into a smaller place to live, which has been great to get rid of a lot of stuff. We've been wanting to do that for a while, but holy cow, that was a, that was a lot of work. But either way, glad to be with you today. I'll throw a couple of independent in-between episodes on before we start, I guess, what would be season five. I'm still probably a few weeks away from being able to get that going. But today, what I thought I'd do is I snagged some audio from the Wisdom app. Some of you have been on the Wisdom app as well. Uh, It's where I have... The Wisdom app is kind of like a live social audio application. It kind of works like other social media, but it's just all audio. And it's been helpful for me, although I haven't been able to use it. I haven't been able to do anything the last couple of months. But here's an episode um, where I talk about relationality. It's also an episode where a couple of people uh, logged in, called in, tapped in, whatever we say. Although I think I only kept one for you here just to keep the time limit down. So this is a bit of me talking about open and relational theology uh, from another format. I'm going to throw it on to this podcast because I know some of you only hang out here, which is cool. Do whatever you want, man. Hang out wherever you want. I think that that's the way it should work. And I hope you enjoy it. Um, I know all of that open and relational stuff has been super helpful for me. All right. Peace. God bless. I hope everyone's doing well and uh, we'll connect with you soon. recently on here talking about open and relational theology. So I thought I would share a bit more about that today as I think that, let's see, I don't want to say answers, but I think that what is contained with open and relational theology provides people an opportunity to get the answers as well as anything that I know. So I tried to say that in a way to kind of stay away from certain dogmatic beliefs that one must have to be an open and relational thinker and to try to reframe it in a way to say that if you begin to think open and relationally, it it will allow you to get to paradigms and perspectives um, that 
could be super, super helpful for you. And, and I, I happen to think they're, they're helpful for us in a way that not only could change our lives, but could change the life of our world, so to speak. And um, I desperately, I think we desperately need that kind of thinking. So, um, so I'm happy to talk about this to help folks, but also as I talk about it, it helps me because I'm continuing to try to figure out ways to communicate it in best in the best ways possible. And you know, you've landed on, by the way, I think this is true of everything. You know, you've landed on a measure of truth when you can't just get at it with one like pithy phrase, you know, 140 characters or 280 characters or less, as it were you know, something that just completely encapsulates everything you believe in a, a social media post. That doesn't mean that there aren't times, I think, when you can do that for particular aspects of whatever whatever it is you're going through. But in my experience, truth presents itself in a variety of different ways, fashions and forms. It's never in bondage to one particular form but rather is constantly animating uh, beauty and goodness in this world in such a way that, you know, forms come and go because forms are ephemeral. That's the way it works. Change is inevitable. But the spirit of truth is constantly seeking to reinvent itself, to re-manifest itself in the new. And I suppose for the uninitiated, that all sounds kind of woo-woo and kind of out there. That's not my, that's not the point. The point isn't to try to be abstract. The point actually is to try to, you know, be open to the abstract enough that it will allow us to build, you know, some concrete ideas about things. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about open and relational. Um, well, let's uh, just see. we got someone who just jumped on. I want to say hi. So um, this is going to be Deborah, and we're going to say hi to Deborah. How's it going? I love everything you're saying. I love living at the corner of hope and reality because hope presupposes presupposes you know the future. So what you're really saying is you're living um, between today and tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Time, yeah. And um, which is great because, of course, we are everything that the past has afforded us. So we bring that with us to today and tomorrow. So you're kind of living in three existences at one moment. At least that's what you aspire to, according to what you're saying, right? I think that's really well put. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And your presentation energetically is really great. And that's I don't just jump on like that when I come in here. But the fact that you're. You know, when people state their truth, I love what you said about truth, too, because mm-hmm. I, be- I believe that a lot of these social media audio uh, apps are succeeding because people can can discern truth through the, through the voice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and um, without uh, being afforded the, the, um, the opportunity to actually see the person, you have to gain as much as you can through the voice. Mm. And, you know, I work, I make a living at singing and playing, you know, playing the piano and stuff. So I know what vibrationally and intentionally the voice does. You know what I mean? Very interesting. Yeah, anybody can sing a song, but to communicate a song is completely different. Right. Vibrations and resonance. It's a physical thing, but maybe an extra physical thing, too, is what I hear you saying. 
Yeah. And so the other thing that I like about your presentation, I'm just feeding feeding back. I'm just mirroring to you what I heard, why I get jumped on, is because, um, you know, the funny thing is that you're presenting in a kind of a what I would I mean, this isn't right. But energetically, it's like you're presenting it in a very factual way, but it is your truth. So at the same time, I'm getting that, you know, your truth might not be everybody's truth, but you're saying it in such a calm uh, presenting it, you know, you don't have to preach it. You're just yeah. saying it. And so the, I'm attracted to that because then I know you're open to my truth and that we can really have a real conversation. So that's why I, I, what I'm getting from what you're saying. Is that is that how you're presenting in some weird way, even if it's subconscious? Yeah, no, I hope it's both subconscious and conscious. Um, so thanks for saying that. Uh, that is the goal is to try to yeah, talk about these really challenging, interesting, complex things, but not in a dogmatic way that exactly makes it appear as if I've got it figured out. Right, right. And that's how, why you're living in those three existences of past, present, future, because you're opening yourself up to the unknown by even opening a talk like this. Mm, yes, yeah, so true. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're really, I followed you immediately. There are very few people, and I'm not, it's not because Deborah's following you immediately. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm coming from, I seek out now because I know how important time is in this pandemic and what we do with it. So I seek out authenticity only because. I don't want to clutter my mind with inauthenticity. I can't do it as yeah. a creator. I, you know, if I'm going to take time out from my creating, I'm going to, I'm going to load it up with something that I want, you know? So anyway, um, but can I talk about the title and yes. like figure out what the title, so where are you in the world? Can you say? I'm talking about geographically? Yeah. I'm in uh, Kansas city area. Sure. Wow. That's How about great. You? I am an hour north of New York City, but I work in the city. Oh, wow. And you're a musician or a creative person? Yes. I um, I play the piano in a Broadway show right now called uh, oh. Tina, the Tina Turner Musical. But I'm a co composer, and I have, I've written my own musicals, which are going to get uh, produced and have been produced. But you know what it is? Why? My mission on the planet is that's a great gift I have. Yeah. But really, I'm putting it out there for a, not I don't want to say higher for a different reason I, I you know I, I came up with with a, with a term for myself and it's if you're not coming from the ego point of view it's a good term it's it's called inspirationalist yeah I like it <laughs> well I just I, wanted to is it okay if I ask about relational relationality yeah so relationality I kind of think might be like in my own limited understanding, a way to conceive of the whole thing. Like everything is relational. Um, you know, we came through this, generally speaking, painting with broad strokes, this concept, this modern concept that, you know, life is all about substance-based and we became what's called atomistic. And that is we tried to drill down to the atoms to find the fun, you know, the foundational building blocks and then what we found, not only were atoms, but were stuff inside the atoms and then subparticles and then smaller and smaller until the point where a lot of, this isn't just philosophy, but it's science too. A lot of folks are saying uh, there's really no, it's not really about the individual substance as much as it is the relationship between the things. Yes. So it's not there's about the proton or the neutron or the electron. It's about 
the energy that's created in the interplay of the three. And as we see that microcosmically, we can see that in a macro way in our lives, geopolitically, interpersonally, all kinds of things. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Right. But what you're doing by actually even saying that, and I'm, well, as I'm actively listening to you, my mind goes to a, a place of non-comprehension, which is expansive, which is, you know, I can't contemplate and understand the atom being smashed and there's pretty much nothing there but the stuff in between. It's like, it's, and even the stuff is not really stuff. So right. even, even by what's so beautiful about having this conversation is that we can both be in that expansiveness together. So like you're taking us in this place where you're, there's no other place to be but expansive. Uh, I love that. And I love how in that expansive place, like there's there's tension and resolution, there's harmony and disharmony. And the thing about music and art is one of the thing one of the reasons I speculate that it's so popular is and so important is because music seems to encapsulate and incorporate tension and resolution and beauty, mm. you know, rhythmically and tonally. Yes. All in, you know, all these vibrations, stuff happening all at the same time. And I, I wonder sometimes, I don't, I'm not articulating very well, but I wonder sometimes if that's why music isn't so important because it plays with all of this expansiveness in ways like maybe we don't even realize what's going on. Right. Do you ever get like goosebumps or chills when listening to music? It's, it's a real thing. I mean, it's like, yeah. And I always tell my voice students, I say like, okay, uh, check it out. And I go, uh, that note existed in the air before I manifested it in my throat. It was, it's already here. It's all around us. I didn't just pick it out of nowhere. I mean, it's vibrating at that level and I'm just choosing to express it, you know? So this is like really, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. I was just going to say my timer is going to time you out in a minute, Um, but you just, so if you, if I lose you, it's because of that. But, oh, uh, no, I know. Yeah. I'm going to continue to listen in the audience for a while. So I, no. I'll even leave now so you can um, you can even finish because I can feel I, I know how to read the room anyway. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so I'm going to I'm going to go. But thank you so much for bringing me up. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. I know how to read the room. I, I hope I wasn't saying that, but maybe I was. Okay, when Deborah was talking about the note already exists, and then when she hums the note, it's not as if she's creating the note, but rather she's just manifesting the note that already exists. That's super fascinating. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, not just musically, but in life. So John Caputo is a uh, philosopher who talks about the difference between God's existence and God's insistence. And I really like that approach. Um, and it's less for him and others about, you know, trying to prove of God's existence, but rather, and when I say God, I always think of, I've kind of had to retrain my brain to think of love because I think God is love. Um, so it's not as if I need to argue for the existence of love, but rather love insists 
all the way along and it, it'll whisper things to me and encourage me and invite me continually into this process. And if I participate, then what I do is I bring love into existence, into my life and into this world. So love is always there. Um, but whether it exists uh, is debatable because it doesn't exist unless I, to use Deborah's words, uh, manifest it. So whether that's a note that always is already there, but then doesn't show up until I sing it, or love that's always there and doesn't show up until I, well, what? What do you do to help love exist? <laughs> um, there's probably a hundred different things, but you give, uh, you serve, you forgive, you participate in grace and beauty and art and goodness and patience. And so, yeah, that's really fascinating. And so I'm glad she said what she said because it makes me think about um, the difference between existence and insistence and how we play, okay, here's a good take, how we play a role in all that. You know, love may not exist if we don't choose to manifest it. If we don't choose to vocalize it, the music doesn't exist. So everyone needs to vocalize. Okay. Um, so yeah, we're talking about open and relational theology, open and relational thinking, but um, it's essentially this idea that we live in an open and relational universe. Open refers to that the future is not yet determined, so our actions will determine how the future plays out. I actually don't even think um, love or God knows all the ways or knows exactly how the future is going to play out because the future is inherently unknowable. It hasn't happened yet. The only thing we really know is the past. And then as it comes crashing into each and every moment of the present that we live in. So the future is not predetermined. Uh, there's so many great things about that, that I'll try to talk about another point. And then that, yes, we live in a relational universe. So I'm talking a bit more about that today. And it might be helpful to think in terms of, and I'll probably go about 10 minutes here. I'll try to, I'll try to shoot for that. Maybe, maybe 12, <laughs> 10 or 12. Um, so I think it's helpful to think in terms of the move from modernity to post-modernity, which is basically commensurate with a move from, and I'm going to use a variety of synonyms, a move from like um, a independent, mechanistic, Darwinian, clock-like materialism to an interdependent, indeterminate chaos theory type of relationism or relationality. So that's the move from modernity to post-modernity is the move from, you know, the older scientific method of keeping everything separate and clock-like and mechanistic to the newer scientific method, because it's science of interdependence and things bounce off each other and emerge and change out of all of this. So the progenitor of this kind of thinking, if I can use that word, probably more than anyone else is a guy by the name of Albert North Whitehead. He was a mathematician from the early 20th century. And he was, well, he was a brilliant thinker. And he was considering evolution in particular from his scientific worldview. And you got to remember early uh, early 1900s, the scientific worldview was materialistic, so to speak, mechanistic, Darwinian. 
And so he was saying, like, look, if things can just be pulled apart like an engine, then they're lifeless. They're without possibility of change. But evolution is evolution couldn't happen because of that. It's got to be more than about the substance. It has to be that the substances themselves interact and change in such a ways that they are alive. So the whole point of evolution is that something more complex evolves out of something less complex. Like it's phenomenal, really, when you reflect upon it. So there has to be some kind of interchange and growth that happens with all of that. And if it's substance-based, then it literally can't happen because, you know, basically the substance people like, you know, Descartes and others, that's essentially what they were saying, that you could just pull everything apart. Everything exists independent of each other. Whitehead and others were saying, no, that this isn't true. And so with open and relational theology, what we're trying to do is emphasize um, that materialism, which is one way of categorizing it, with, with its emphasis on inert and machine-like parts, it's really incapable of evolution. So because parts can't change, like you know, your car doesn't change; they just their parts of the car stay inside your car. They can only be extracted and inserted into other parts, so nothing new can emerge. There really is nothing more foundational than than substance itself. And so Whitehead and others after him started this whole kind of thing called process thinking. So sometimes you might re- hear this referred to as process theology. I know in my previous world that I lived in, anytime process theology came up, everyone kind of hissed and booed and thought <laughs> deeply suspicious thoughts. I didn't know why until I started to unpack the implications. Um, so if you're a part of a materialistic religious hierarchy, yeah, you are not going to like process and you're not going to like um, open and relational theology, open and relational uh, fits very well within process thinking and owes a great deal to process. Where the whole idea isn't as much about substance as it is about the relationship between the substances. And so, like I said, it's it's scientific as well as philosophic. I mean, when you think of the science of, let's see, well, I guess psychology is a type of science. So you have stream of consciousness within psychology. Um, electromagnetism is all about the interconnected force fields. The evolutionary growth in biology, certainly the waves of energy that are relational and interdependent within quantum physics, I mean, that kind of science for sure shows us that science is, we understand now that science is just replete with the idea of relationality or relationism or being relational. And so as Deborah and I were talking, yeah, we live in a world of atoms, but um, it's not as if the atom is the foundational building block of the universe. What more and more people are thinking and identifying is that it's the relationship between atoms and the subatoms, the subparticles. You know, I mean, we've, I think the last time I read something, was some, we've discovered something like 150 different subparticles, quarks and gluons and gosh, I can't even remember all the names of these different things that are going on at the subatomic level. All that to say that if there's a fundamental building block of the universe, open relational thinking says it's not a quantifiable thing as much as it is the relationship between the quantifiable things. 
So the things we call solid material, things that we can touch, taste, smell, feel, hear, and measure are constantly giving way to smaller and smaller, quote unquote, solid materials that are interacting in truly remarkable ways. And this is kind of what we mean when we begin to talk about relational. One other thing I'll say about relational that I think is helpful, because it's not just like an internal thing like we've been talking about. It's also, and I think Deborah was getting at this when she mentioned something about this earlier, like even in my bio, where I say I live at the corner of hope and reality, which is this corner of the past crashing up into the present as it gives its way moment by moment into the future. So Whitehead and others were captured with the idea that reality is really contained and composed um, of occasions of experience, to use one of his phrases. And simply put, these occasions of experience, they have to be related to the things that went before and that which comes after. If you could, you know, slice down the middle of your life, you wouldn't be able to just extract it completely objective of all the things that happened before and after it. As you pulled it up, like maybe as a piece of paper would be attached to lots of other pieces of paper on either side, as you pulled it up, you know, the rest of your life before and after would be pulled up as well. Nothing really exists independent of the relationship between the moment of experience that went before and the moment of experience that comes after. Like you can't have experience in a vacuum where you have something taking place that's independent of anything else taking place. Experience can only be experienced in the interaction with something. So the fish experiences within the context of the sea and the flower experiences within the context of the soil and the human experiences in the context of the world. It's not like a video game where you can spawn from undisclosed space and time No, we grow out of this world. So as the tree is forever interlinked with the forest, we're forever, forever interlinked with the forest of the world. Oh, and by the way, we're forever interlinked with the tree too. It is very nonlinear and circular like that. Unless one believes uh, in a supernatural God, and I'm kind of taking exception with the word supernatural, because I'm not sure there is a supernatural. I think everything is natural and that God is a part of it. But there's, there's room for discussion along those lines. But unless one believes in a supernatural God, the, the finger snapping of which just creates humans independent of all known matter, unless that's going on, we have to be connected to the world. We have to be connected to the cosmos. And as you may have already guessed, I don't believe that we have a supernatural God like that who will just blink or twitch his nose. Is that what your nose does when it moves? Does it twitch or snaps his fingers and then creates something out of nothing? There is no creating out of nothing because everything is related to something. It's so interesting, isn't it? So again, all of this process, open and relational stuff, it runs counter to modern mechanistic stuff. Experience happens within relationship. The lines are blurred. There's actually no real way of knowing where I end and you begin. Um, There's no real way of knowing where you end and the forest begins. Quantum physics says there there are no positions 
from which we are objective. There's no lines. There's only relationships. What I want to say as someone who's a practicing open and relational thinker is that um, is that we are all, and when I say we, I mean all of us humans and all of creation, all of creation, from the smallest to the largest, both the observed and the unobservable. And I also mean God herself. That we are all inextricably intertwined in relationship. And uh, reminds me of Dr. King. We live in an inescapable network of mutuality. It's so beautiful. It's super challenging and it'll give you a headache to, to consider, but it's really beautiful. So like I said, it's scientific and it's philosophical. One of my favorite philosophers, though I will admit I've not read as much of him as I would like and as I plan to in the future, is a guy by the name of Alan Watts. I thought I would read just a paragraph from his book, The Wisdom of Insecurity. And I think it gets at this relational idea really well, because if you assume that you're cut off or you're set apart, like you're able to view the world with complete objectivity, if you assume that, um, I think it's going to lead to a lot of unhealth and a lot of problems that we all should have with classic understanding standings of words like, um, for example, omnipotence. And I, I talked a little bit about omnipotence in the last couple of wisdom sessions. But so philosophers, uh, as Alan Watts says, okay, just take a breath and, and I won't go much longer, but take a breath and try to absorb this. Philosophers often fail to recognize that their remarks about the universe also apply to themselves and their remarks. If the universe is meaningless, so is the statement that it is so. If this world is a vicious trap, so is its accuser, and the pot is calling the kettle black. In the strictest sense, we cannot actually think about life and reality at all because this would have to include thinking about thinking, thinking about thinking about thinking, and so ad infinitum. <laughs> one can only attempt a rational descriptive philosophy of the universe on the assumption that one is totally separate from it. But if you and your thoughts are a part of this universe, you cannot stand outside them to describe them. This is why all philosophical and theological systems must ultimately fall apart to know, quote unquote, no reality. You cannot stand outside it and define it. You must enter into it, be it, and feel it. Speculative philosophy, as we know in the West, is almost entirely a symptom of the divided mind, of man trying to stand outside himself and his experience in order to verbalize and define it. It's a vicious circle, like everything else which the divided mind attempts. Mm, that's good right there. So yeah, I think that what I think is we live in an open and relational universe that everything is relationship. And so there are a hundred different implications with all of that, some of which you're probably already landing on before I get there. But I guess maybe what I would want to say today is uh, don't be divided. Be at one with yourself. Be at one with others. Be at one with the cosmos, because you are not an exception to what is going on. You're actually a great example of what is going on. The cosmos is living through you. And so as you be kind to the cosmos, you're actually being kind to yourself. Hmm. And when the brown-skinned man who lived a couple of thousand years ago 
Who was executed in a state-sponsored act of violence, by the way? When he said, love your neighbor, really he was saying, love yourself. Sociologically, it's like brilliant counsel. And psychologically, it's also brilliant counsel. Because you really can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself. And you really can't love yourself unless you love your neighbor. Because we're all in this together. Which is what Zac Efron sang in High School Musical. Little did Zac know how true he was. Or maybe he did. Maybe he did know the truth. And that's why he sang it with so much energy. <laughs> I'm not a big High School Musical fan necessarily, but I did have kids growing up in that area. So yeah, we watched it a few times. All right, that's what I wanted to say today. Um, if you have any thoughts or ideas, you can certainly jump on. Hey, we're still waiting. We're still waiting.